In 2012, the year of the 100th anniversary of Titanic sinking, there were actually two major miniseries released. I'm sure the 100-year timing had everything to do with them both being on the calendar that year. I have, in a previous episode, covered the miniseries called Simply Titanic, made by Julian Fellows of Downton Abbey fame. Unfortunately, that miniseries has not garnered the best reputation over the years. Suddenly, certainly nothing like the praise that Fellows received over the years for Downton Abbey. Today, I turn my attention to the other miniseries that came out in 2012, Titanic Blood and Steel, produced by History Asia, a subsidiary of the History Channel, Also, many other production companies were involved, I'm sure. It was a quite global production in terms of funding. It aired all over the world in celebration of this 100-year mark. did not air in the United States until October of that year, but aired earlier in the year in places like France and Germany. It was not filmed in Belfast, as some think, but it does dramatize the building of Titanic, really the only show or film that has ever done that. So it does turn its attention to a part of Titanic's process that film typically doesn't. The only one to show the pre in all of this, so to speak. It is popular among Titaniacs for its quality production values, but not its accuracy, which drives me mad because Titaniacs who are Titanic the ship Titaniacs who are anti the 1997 film often claim they're anti the 1997 film because of its inaccuracies. And some of these same people love Blood and Steel despite its inaccuracies. So I just don't get it. Seems a little bit hogwashy to me. The main character in Titanic Blood and Steel is fictional, Dr. Mark Muir a fictional metallurgist who convinces J.P. Morgan to put him on the project of building Titanic. He's a Belfast native disguising himself. His real name is Marcus Malone, but he's a Catholic, and it's the Protestant elite of Belfast and Harland and Wolfe that run the ship here, (laughs) literally and metaphorically. So we have labor unrest, class issues, local history, A lot of really valuable themes, but how much of it is really titanic and how much of it is good filmmaking? Let's find out. I feel like I must quote the trailer for this movie, or I'm sorry, this miniseries, when it says cheesily, legends have to be built. I'm L.A. Beatles. And this is, of course, Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. Welcome back. This is finally another Titanic on film, Blood and Steel.
first time when we launch this ship, the world will already know the story of her greatness. People's fascination with it can start now. My first task will be to test the tensile properties of the steel you use. You needn't concern yourself about the steel we use, Dr. Muir. It's of the best quality. A head full of questions with no answers. That's what I love about you. All right, we will unpack that in a moment. First, of course, as always, I would like to take the time to thank my newest Patreon members. So I would like to extend a huge thank you to my latest unsinkable VIP member over on Patreon, Kyle Edgecombe, who just joined. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And thank you to all my Patreon members. I'm grateful for you every single day. And some of you have been supporting the pod now on Patreon for two plus years, which is amazing, incredible. Uh, There's a lot going on there, lots of bonus episodes stacked up now. I'm in the middle of an officer series on the bonus episodes that post at the very beginning of every month. And I am hosting a Zoom book club meetup February 8th for Patreon members, first of its kind. We'll see how it goes. It's an interactive book club, and we are covering Molly Brown, uncovering the myth, which has become quite a classic in the Titanic community at this point. So just a little something special going on over there. Of course, links to join Patreon will be in the show notes as always. I will keep the rest of my announcements and notes to the end of the episode as promised, but make sure you stick around because I do have a couple of fun things to announce. So Titanic Blood and Steel. Since the moment I started running polls of any kind, Patreon, Instagram, it has been one of the most requested episodes. Uh, I have shied away from it, full disclosure, for a couple of reasons. (laughs) One, this will come as no surprise to any of you if you are a longtime listener of the podcast. I, the part of the Titanic story that I know the least and feel the least comfortable in the space of is her actual physical construction. Now, of course, I know the basics. And of course, I've studied the deck plans. And I've been to Belfast. I've been to Titanic Belfast. And I've learned so much about how she was constructed. But I am a social historian. I am a cultural historian. That is my training. And so, for example, when I went to Titanic Belfast, I've talked about this, my mind was on labor history in a social cultural sense. I wanted to know about people's lives. I wanted to know about workers' lives. How much money did they make? What were their families like? What was the socioeconomic climate of workers at the time? What were their children up to? What were their wives up to? So I have always been less consumed with the rivets in Titanic um, and much more consumed with the people on Titanic. Now, There are historians working on the physicalities of Titanic that have done so much intense research. That work has been done. We'll talk about some of that in this episode. Um, The second reason that I have shied away from it, it's long. It's 12-hour commitment to watch. So, you know, one of – I haven't done a Titanic on film in a while. I I mean, just I'm ashamed to admit. I just haven't had time. And – One of the things I've always done, though, with Titanic on film, this little mini series within the pod, is that I want to make it to where if you don't have time to sit down and watch, you know, whether it's a documentary I've covered or one of these longer mini series or just an old black and white movie maybe you don't have access to online and you just want to hear about it. I try to make these episodes so that they're they're also a, a conversation about Titanic 
and and its cultural history. And maybe you don't want to spend 12 hours watching Blood and Steel, and you might just want to listen to this episode. That's also fine. I keep them... I keep these episodes fairly spoiler-free in a situation like this so that if you do decide to go and watch it in detail, not everything is ruined. That said, there's really no possible spoilers with the Titanic story. We all know what happens in the grand scheme of things. Now, these particular characters in Titanic, Blood and Steel, a lot of whom are fictional, um, yeah, I won't I won't spoil what happens to these individual characters in case you are going to watch it. But in this, and, and I think this is why it has been so heavily requested, within this miniseries, we have so many themes. There's class, you know, workers, working class, men and their families versus the elite. Uh, the There's also the theme of cost saving and uh, <laughs> the question of the materials used in Titanic. You heard in the clip from the trailer, this is one of the driving forces of this miniseries and also one of my major problems with it. I'm talking about a spoiler alert for the rest of this episode. And uh, But that's a big theme, uh, is the main character questioning the quality of the steel. And that is just total bullshit. And I can refer you to uh, The Great Bible of Titanic on a Sea of Glass uh, by J. Kent Layton and Tad Fitch and Bill Wormstead. And uh, you can find out in great detail how that is completely wrong. We'll talk about it more in a minute. Uh, There's also the theme of the suffrage movement. Uh, It's very accurate to make this relevant at the time. Same with the the labor struggles. Um, Titanic sailed at a time when we like to romanticize that it was some sort of quiet and dainty, lovely moment in history where most things were peaceful and technology hadn't taken over the world. And we all just sat with our hot mugs of cocoa at home and and took care of our communities. Unfortunately, there was a lot of upheaval uh, Unfortunately, that it involved struggle, but fortunate in the sense that it involved a lot of people working for their rights. Uh, So what we don't get often taught, at least not here in the U.S. in school about this period, is that you have these wonderful threads and sinews and muscles forming of the women's suffragist movement, of the labor movement, uh, two of the most important arcs in the course of American history. So I do applaud this miniseries for covering both of those themes. I tried to cover both in my podcast, obviously, as well. And then uh, importantly, you have something called home rule uh, versus unionism in this miniseries. Now, a completely relevant issue, uh, more than relevant, uh, probably the most relevant issue in Ireland at the time in 1912, and every single person of Irish descent that boarded Titanic probably had it on its mind, on their mind uh, when they boarded the ship, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was a movement that campaigned for self-government, home rule, for Ireland within the United Kingdom. Uh, which was Great Britain and Ireland. We'll talk more about it in a minute. This miniseries does not really get all of the issues correct, uh, but it is a really, really important component of the history of building Titanic uh, and the fact that it, from Harland and Wolf, is an Irish ship through and through. So 
I'm again very, very glad that a miniseries on Titanic decided to tackle these issues. It's just the nitty gritty of how they present them that I do have a few problems with. I mean, like all miniseries of this time, there is a struggle between the classes in this upstairs, downstairs kind of way. Very influenced by Downton Abbey, ironically uh, made by the same person who made another Titanic miniseries in 2012, Julian Fellows, talked about that at the beginning. But, you know, we have all of the typical markers of a period, uh, early 20th century period film in the costuming, in this very dramatic gasp, <gasps> you know, is he hanging out with a commoner? Is she hanging out with a commoner? Uh, are they, you know, in this case, the main character? Uh, is he Protestant? Is he Catholic? Everything is divided along these really black and white lines of who belongs where. And as we know from everything involving the study of this period, unfortunately, that's pretty accurate in terms of class structure, just in my opinion, it's driven home a little too uh, cheesily, bluntly, on the nose-ish in in uh, period many series like these. And I'm I'm biased, guys. I'm not a mini series person. I think the only mini series that I have truly, truly ever loved is Mayor of East Town because Kate Winslet was so mind-blowing in that. I have never been a miniseries person. Maybe a docu-series, a Ken Burns documentaries, those work for me, but a, but a miniseries that is fiction, especially historical fiction, I just, it's so melodramatic. I need it to be a movie or show. But right now, I've I'm watching Outlander. I'm so so far behind the curve. I'm so far behind that I was left in another city <laughs> in terms of Outlander. I have so many friends uh, that have long recommended it to me. I'm going to talk about it at the end of this episode because I'm so in love with it right now. And there's definitely some Jack Dawson vibes coming off of Jamie Fraser, but we'll get to that. But I'm watching Outlander right now, and that I love. I It's a show that I feel like there is time to live and breathe in, especially if you know there are going to be multiple seasons. With a mini series, with a limited series, it's it leaves me it leaves me unfulfilled. Longer than a movie, but not long enough for the characters to really get to know themselves and breathe within themselves. So just eight thousand words to tell you I'm not a mini series person. So the main character, like I mentioned, is Dr. Mark Muir. His real name is Marcus Malone. He's actually a Catholic from the kind of working class areas of Belfast, of course, in Belfast. And there is a deep, deep, deep history to be explored here about Catholic um, versus Protestant. Um, uh, what's the best word to use? Uh, disagreements, um, different visions of society, different visions of Ireland, um, 
everything from the village level all the way to the national level. There's so much to unpack. Of course, Belfast has a very deep and troubling history, as a lot of our places do in the world, of this unrest that involves religious struggle. It really breaks my heart. Uh, but I recommend, I'll recommend a couple of books in the show notes, but the history of Belfast, the history of how Northern Ireland becomes Northern Ireland, how Ireland is divided up, uh, the troubles in the latter part of the 20th century, so much to unpack, and I will not be unpacking that here. But what this miniseries shows, and, and what was true, is that in Belfast in 1912, in the first years of the of the 20th century, you do have a Protestant elite running Harlan Wolf, for example, and Catholics are shunned in this situation. So our main character, who is fictional, Dr. Mark Muir, is actually Marcus Malone, and he's hiding at first the fact that he is Catholic. Now, Fictional character as our main character in a Titanic film or series. I don't like it in this one, but I know that I have absolutely no space to be angry or to complain about it because, of course, in 1997's film, the greatest movie of all time, there are the two main characters are completely fictional. And a lot of our main characters are completely fictional. So I do not want to be a hypocrite, but I will say I just... I don't understand why you would make a miniseries like this, Titanic, blood and steel, about the making of this ship that has created so much mythology in our global culture. Why you wouldn't make your main character Thomas Andrews or Bruce Ismay or just to just to really explore the psychology of those people. There are so many sources on on Andrews, for example. We have his biography. We have so much detail from his wife, from his daughter he left behind. Now, I've talked about this with Chelsea Pinkard in our Titanic on Fiction episodes over the years. It is hard sometimes to make real historical characters your main character because there is the fear of putting too many fake words in their mouths, of taking over their being and claiming that you know what they would have said in a certain situation or not. It's tricky. But here, I just don't get it. So the young metallurgist Mark Muir, uh, he is good looking, he's charming, and he also happens to love metal and and everything involving the the science of metal metallurgy. I can't say that word. And he's he's got that, you know, quiet heroism protagonist thing going on. At one point in that one of the early episodes, he says, we stand at the border where our ambitions shall outstrip our technology. And I'm here to stop that from happening. So um, he's, he's here to save the day. He's our, our metal, our metal, metallurgy Superman, here to save us from the horrible steel that Harlan Wolf is using. There's just no truth to that at all. The steel that was used on Titanic was perfectly up to standard for the day and, and considered high quality at the time. So Mark Muir is played by Kevin Zeigers. I think it's Zeigers. Maybe it's Zegers, Z-E-G-E-R-S, who you might rec- recognize from talk about 1997, 1997's classic Air Bud, which I 
I don't know what this says about me, but I think I rented it from Blockbuster a bunch. I think it was a really big deal, right? Uh, but he was a kid actor. He was in a ton of movies as a kid and teenager. Uh, I think he was also on Gossip Girl when he was a little older. If you watch that, I wasn't a Gossip Girl person. I missed that ship. Um, and then I, I think he's still working. I think he's on one of those 20 billion shows about cops that air on ABC or CBS. I don't even know what it's called. Um, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. It didn't, he didn't feel right to me as the lead here. I just didn't quite understand. Um, it didn't quite have any, did have a lot of sympathy for him in my mind? I, I don't know. So he is, part of his role here as the main lead is to really float around and get us interacting with people like Lord Peary, who was chairman of uh, Harland and Wolf at the time, of course, like J.P. Morgan, president of the International Mercantile Marine, which owned everything. Uh, Chris Noth from Sex and the City plays uh, financier J.P. Morgan. Uh, at one point, uh, he does say, she's more than I ever imagined. She is Titanic. <laughs> and um, and then uh, we have Derek Jacoby, who plays Lord Peary. Derek Jacoby, very well-respected actor, uh, has been in a lot of good stuff. So, um, And he does a great job as, as Lord Peary, actually. I think that's one of the best parts of the miniseries. So part of, part of what this fictional character of Mark Muir is doing is allowing us to interact with these upper-level people working on the construction of Titanic. But the other thing the miniseries has him do is kind of float among all of these women. And we get these very, like, stereotypical women of different classes at the time. So he catches the eye of a woman named Kitty, uh, who is more upper crust. And she's played by Ophelia Lovabond, best name ever, who is on um, the show Minx. Did, oh, what is it on? It's it's just had its second season, I think. Uh, it's about the development of a women's magazine, um, like as in the women, like a woman's answer to Playboy, like almost like a Playgirl-esque magazine in the 70s. It's a really, really good show. Not for children. Lots of nudity, just be warned. Uh, but it's a really good show. I think it's on Stars. I don't know. Look it up, or I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. But she's in this. And then there is the more down-to-earth uh, not a for crest, uh, Sophia, uh, that he interacts with, who is being uh, like influenced by her father to enter into a loveless marriage. Sound familiar? Uh, so it's, you know, he's, he's navigating these, these women. And I hate miniseries and films that relegate the actresses, like female roles to just these support systems or just characters that move plot along. Um, there's also Nev Campbell. She comes in later as a journalist. And that's the the quote you heard from the trailer that I played a few minutes ago. Um, that's her. So, you know, it's there are 12 hours of this, and you really get to know a lot of these characters, which is definitely a plus. But there's a lot of time spent on the drama between these characters, and that's not really telling us anything about the ship, 
Again, I don't mean to sound hypocritical, but it's just a lot. It's 12 hours. That's a lot. Um, Okay. So in terms of Thomas Andrews, which would have been my preference for the lead character in a miniseries like this, um, we do have an actor playing him that looks like him and seems to be presented as very historically accurate for what we know of Thomas Andrews, who was, by all accounts, a loving and helpful and brilliant person who had a kind heart. Uh, Again, I wish he had been in the series more. We do get to see a little bit of him. So the, you know, the the course of the building of Titanic is shown through 12 episodes with this back and forth um, of interpersonal drama going on as well. Uh, at one point, Mark's identity is revealed. And there's this turning point where he is, you know, allowed or not allowed to stay on the project. The the process of building Titanic was long. And I do think that a miniseries like this shows that so much of an iconic historical moment's impact is because of the hard work of people behind the scenes, those who built it, those who contributed to a process, good or bad, and that we often don't even get 5% of the story if we only look at the moment a bomb went off, if we only look at a, the moment a building fell down, if we only look at the moment a ship sh- sank, if we only, on the flip side of things, look at a moment that a great building was erected. You know, it's nothing happens in a moment. We view history sometimes as, oh, that was a moment in history. And that's, it's not like that. You know, historical moments are built on days and weeks and sometimes years of processes. And this is one of those. So it is. It is, it is nice to see the process of the building of Titanic given some space. But I just, and I saw a couple of reviews online that agreed with me, so I don't think I'm too far out of left field. I just feel like, I feel like what happened is that the producers were told you have 12 episodes and you need to fill 12 hours. And they are using some of these soap opera-esque complex relationships, complications, you know, like Dr. Mark Muir, he has this whole sad, horrible backstory of having fallen in love with the woman that he left, later finds out she had actually given birth to his child illegitimately, and he's searching for the child. It's just very soap opera-esque. And instead of focusing on, instead of putting writers, I mean, who am I to know what actually happened? But it seems to me that instead of putting writers in a room and saying, hey, you really need to tell the story of the building of Titanic. Get me in there with the workers and show me the brutalities their bodies endured. Get me in there with families of the men who built Titanic and show me what their home life was. Show me how a rivet was made and and put it on screen in a way that will make it relatable. Make somebody understand like here here's the the raw material that goes into something this big. Instead of a writer's room of people that were told to tell that human story, it seems like a writer's room of people were just told fill tw- fill 12 hours with melodrama surrounding Belfast. I just, you know, anyway. Um so our our hero Mark Muir, he goes through a lot of like flirting with all of the female characters. And, uh, you know, I won't ruin all of that because you may still watch it and you want to know what happens with the the love story part of it. Um, 
But it does it does focus in on class tensions and labor disputes. So Derek Jacoby plays Lord Peary, who is presented here as very much an idealist. And he says that Titanic will become, quote, a symbol of what might have been achieved if differences are set aside and uh, a cause for rejoicing in the hearts of men. So at the top, there is this great hope from Harlan and Wolf, right, that this behemoth will be this behemoth made full of from heart and full of joy. But at the bottom rung, in so many ways, physically, metaphorically, are the workers of Harlan and Wolf, the workers of Belfast that are struggling, um, are receiving pretty competitive pay for the time, but are putting their bodies on the line. And also going on in Belfast, as I mentioned, is this question of home rule. There is great unease politically and socioeconomically and just socially and religiously in Belfast. So I want to go over a little bit of what the home rule debate in Ireland, the home rule movement was, just to give you a sense um, as we go over a few things that the miniseries covered. So the Home Rule Movement was a movement that was in pursuit of self-government or home rule uh, for Ireland within the United Kingdom, which was at that point Great Britain and Ireland. It's a very important movement from about 1870 to the end of World War One. Very important history. Isaac Butt founded the Home Government Association. That was in 1870. And then, so you may hear a few of these names uh, interchanged. Um, in 1873, uh, this was this became the Home Rule League. And then in 1882, uh, it was adopted by the Irish uh, Parliamentary Party. So they campaigned for Home Rule in the British House of Commons. And it was actually not until 1886 that their first Home Rule bill was put through. So that one was defeated in the House of Commons in 1886. There was a second Home Rule bill in 1893. So this was a persistent movement. That one passed the Commons but was defeated in the House of Lords. And then the third Home Rule bill was introduced in 1912. And this the voting on this would have been going on right as the time at the time that Titanic was sailing. What's interesting is that that one did pass, but because of World War I, it was not enacted as people wanted at the time. And like I said, the history of the history of home rule, unionism in Ireland, the history of Northern Ireland, um, Ireland's role within the UK, it's very complicated going back centuries and centuries. Ireland was a colony of of Britain's essentially. Um, I think I mentioned this uh, when I talked briefly about uh, Roanoke, the history of, of Roanoke and the first settlement in the United States. I mentioned this in an episode a few months ago because I've always researched that really heavily. Uh, but Sir Walter Raleigh, who has a town in North Carolina named after him, who was beloved uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, protege, 
He's renowned for founding places and such, but uh, he actually had a really nasty role in colonizing Ireland and killing a lot of Irish families. So, you know, there's a very complicated history here, and I would urge you to read more on it if you are interested. Uh, Like I mentioned, On a Sea of Glass, uh, the book on Titanic has a lot of great info. Gareth Russell's Ship of Dreams has a lot of great info on home rule, how it relates to Thomas Andrews. His section on Andrews in that book is just stunning. You couldn't do any better than that. So, but that's a little, just a little bit of a background on the home rule movement. So I want to kind of go through some of the inaccuracies in the miniseries, and that's how I'm going to discuss some of this. And I, I know I feel like I'm just beating this thing down, but I, it, guys, I'm a, I'm a movie person. I'm a film person. You want to call me a film snob? I don't know. I don't think I am, but this, this miniseries just really, um, I don't know. It just seems to leave a lot on the table, which makes me sad. Is there such potential here? Okay, some of the inaccuracies. So the riots and the labor movement, the labor unrest that are that are put in the miniseries are uh, portrayed as about safety and wages, but really it was more about the practices of Harlan and Wolf in terms of who would have been hired. So like I mentioned, Harlan and Wolf, the elite of Harlan and Wolf are Protestant. So there was a priority given to Protestant workers. And Catholics obviously did not benefit from that. And so that was more the sort of crux of the debate in that sense. At the time, uh, Harlan and Wolf's wages were about on par with average, not necessarily uh, considered, um, and they would have been considered a living wage, I guess, is the is the best term compared uh, to other wages. Of course, those jobs came with intense risk in terms of injury and often death. Several people died making um, Titanic a reality. Um, it also, the miniseries, insinuates that Harland and Wolf chose these cost-saving mechanisms of using cheap steel and the implication also being that they were putting people's lives at risk by cutting corners in lots of other ways. This this is just not true. And again, I, I will point you to Sea of Glass um, to read up on this, but Titanic's whole strength, I feel like and historians feel like was definitely proven <laughs> Uh, when it sat on the sea floor for, you know, at this point, 112 years and remains um, not necessarily all the way intact, but remains an entity, it's there. And we can still see parts of it fully constructed, laying on the ocean floor for that many years and we can still go and explore it and map it. it seems like pretty good construction to me. Uh, of course, the ship did split in two, but I mean, do you know how much was on that ship? Uh, so when the pressure of all of the water, um, I mean, there's just, there would have been no way around that, I don't think, uh, in a physics sense. But there's no evidence whatsoever that cheap steel was used in Titanic, and there's no evidence whatsoever that corners were actively cut. Another inaccuracy that's been pointed out, J.P. Morgan is 
is in the miniseries having a really active part in the construction of Titanic. And of course, he did acquire the International Mercantile Marine, but it was White Star Line and the building of Titanic, Olympic, the sister ship, was really managed by J. Bruce Ismay. Ismay is the one who would have been you know, we all know the classic story of him planning all these ships with Lord Peary. He would have been the one more involved in the building uh, directly. Uh, the timeline of Titanic's building in relation to Olympic, a sister ship that was built side by side uh, for part of the construction period of Titanic, is the timeline is just really off uh, in this. I've heard a lot of people in the Titanic community talk about this, and a lot of people um, in the Titanic community are also really into researching Olympic, which I think is so cool. And of course, we have parts of Olympic that have survived in a pub in England, and Olympic had a long and storied history herself. And so uh, I know a lot of people take this very take that timeline uh, very seriously, and it just is very obvious that research was not done uh, in terms of the launch dates of each one and, and when they would have been built side by side and when Olympic would have um, launched versus Titanic. Um, a couple more inaccuracies. Titanic, of course, did not take on passengers in Belfast. It would have taken on the members of the guarantee group like uh, Thomas Andrews. I'm trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to mention Inaccuracy-wise, I did see on um, one of the reviews I came across online, they pointed out that you know they, the Lord Peary and Thomas Andrews and Muir in this miniseries are talking about how big Titanic and Olympic are, and that's a worry, and they're stressed about that. Um, that wouldn't have been very realistic. Uh, the Hamburg America line was working on even bigger ships at the time. The Cunard line was working on bigger ships at the time. Titanic wouldn't have been the largest moving object in the world for very long. I mean, there was, I've talked about it a lot. There were basically uh, competitions going on between these major uh, Atlantic liners uh, to compete for passengers from third class all the way up to first class. And these ships were getting bigger every day. And, you know, every single time I tell, every single time I tell a bartender or a restaurant server or I don't know, my librarian that I study Titanic, the number one comment again is, oh, it's so it was so small compared to the the cruise ships now. Have you seen the picture online of the Titanic, you know, right next to a modern cruise ship? Definitely have seen that. I think we all have. And yeah, it's it's crazy. Now it just would seem like a tiny little thing compared to the huge ships that we put out on the ocean now, which I don't know. I am scared to get on. I haven't taken a cruise since I was 18 and I'm, I'm as fun, but I, I don't know. It scares me. It scares me to be out in the middle of the ocean on a big ship like that. Even though I know modern technology and the technology of lifeboats now and all of that, but I just out in the middle of the dead ocean, not, I mean, not dead, but dead middle of the ocean, just in the middle of, of nothing. no. I don't think so. No, thank you. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Titanic Blood and Steel. It has quite the reputation in the Titanic community. Uh, it seems to be a love or hate thing. I have 
full disclosure, met many people who I like and admire who like and admire this miniseries. It has very high production quality. Uh, it shows a lot of the of the scenes of the building, a lot of the scenes of the labor unrest have great historical value. And uh, it's it looks good. I just, I'm hard on the interpersonal stories in movies and TV shows. If they border on the melodramatic without a lot of meaning, without a lot of raw humanity, I get a little bit triggered, I guess. Um, but high production value. A lot of people in the Titanic community really respect this miniseries. It has a much better reputation in the Titanic community than the Julian Fellows Titanic miniseries. Um, but yeah, I would I would recommend you read J. Kit Layton, Tad Fitch, and Bill Wormstead's take on it in one of their uh, appendix essays in On a Sea of Glass. I think I agree with them that there are just too many inaccuracies and too much melodrama filler, and it just doesn't seem to do justice to the Titanic story or to Belfast. It wasn't filmed in Belfast. It doesn't look right. Um, I'm always, it, it sucks to be critical of something. You know, I, I am a long-term film person. I've, I've studied and watched and been into film and sometimes TV, you know, since I was a little girl and I, I, don't, I don't ever want to just seem like I'm being critical to be critical, but after studying Titanic this much, it's hard to not it's hard to not be hard on things that are working to portray its story. Um, that said, it's, you know, there's good acting. The Derek Jacoby is great. Uh, Chris Noth is great and kind of campy, but great. Nev Campbell is great. There are a lot of people you'll recognize in here. There's good acting going on. There's some good writing uh, in some of the historical figure scenes. I know I've kind of made fun of a couple of the lines, but there's there are good things here in the production quality. So if you have a copy and you haven't watched it, I mean, do it. It won't hurt anything. You know, it's, it's, if you're a Titaniac, it's always amazing to see Titanic on screen in any capacity. Um, it's a little bit hard to find. It's not streaming in the United States anywhere right now. And I believe the only way to get it is to purchase a copy online for $20 or $30. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I would necessarily go out of my way to spend that money on that if I didn't already have it. Um, but uh, I would love to hear what you have to think. Uh, feel free to comment on Instagram or shoot me an email. This is one that I've been meaning to do, like I said, for years at this point. So I'm going to breathe a big sigh of relief that I finally got this done. Uh, Titanic Blood and Steel, you have been completed for Titanic on film. If you have suggestions for other films to cover, I'm kind of... I'm at a point where I've covered the main ones. I've done Nazi Titanic. I believe that one was on Patreon. I've done 1953's Titanic, 1996's, of course, 1997's at length. I've done A Night to Remember. I've done some of the Jim Cameron documentaries. We've done both 2012 miniseries. So um, I did SOS Titanic, didn't I? I think. Um, I think at this point, I'm gonna have to get creative. So if you have a suggestion of maybe a documentary, or if maybe I should do something fun, like the Poseidon adventure, something that is in the realm of a Titanic film, maybe that's the way to go. So feel free to offer suggestions. I'm happy to be back with doing one of these episodes. I think it's been 
I think it might have been six to nine months since I've done a Titanic on film episode. So I'm glad to get back in the groove. And I definitely want to try to do one more before this season is over. So send me suggestions. All right. Here are some fun announcements. One, uh, there will be another new episode very, very soon because I got to sit down with Max Miller of Tasting History, which if you don't know what it is, once you turn this podcast off, go immediately to YouTube and type in Tasting History. His YouTube channel is amazing. He recreate he researches and recreates historical recipes from all time periods. He has a whole month, it's from about a year and a half ago, a whole month of Titanic episodes that he did. They're incredible. So he and I sat down, we talked about his cookbook, we talked about his process of creating the channel, we talked a lot about research, we talked a lot about how food history affects us all and is a great lens by which to look at history. So that's going to be posting in the next few days as well. I have and always will have the philosophy that my publishing schedule for these episodes, there's no rhyme or reason except that when they are ready, they are ready and I put them out into the world. I don't hold on to them. So this one was ready when it's ready and the Max Miller episode will be ready soon. And I'm not going to hold it back from you just to meet some sort of public publication schedule that means nothing because podcasting's the wild west and I can do whatever I want. So those episode or that episode will come shortly in the next few days too. So it's a fun uh, double episode week. Uh, also, I, this is exciting, have found out that I will be doing uh, a podcasting collaboration kind of crossover with Salem, the podcast later this year, probably, I think we're looking at early spring to, um, to record. Now I mentioned this because yes, that episode, it'll be a while before it's out, but I want you to go and find Salem, the podcast. I am very hard on podcasts uh, as a podcaster and as someone who, you know, history is, history is a huge part of my life and I'm, I'm very critical of how it's presented and I have really high standards for how history is talked about because this is my livelihood, this is my job, this is my career. Um, but Salem of the Podcast is one that meets, it checks all of the boxes. Uh, it's by two. It's done by two tour guides that work in Salem, uh, giving the historical Salem tours. And it's everything about the witch trials to modern Salem history to interviews with people that have lived and studied there. They talk about the cultural and social history. Uh, they unpack so much many important threads of American history that you can see through the history of Salem. They're both great on mic, um, amazing radio voices, um, both just wonderfully engaged in the process of history. Sarah, one of the hosts, I believe she has uh, a graduate degree in history as well. I mean, they're the real deal. So listen to Salem, the podcast, if you've ever had any even passing interest in the history of Salem. There's a lot there uh, for you to find. And I'm really excited to collaborate with them and so grateful that uh, we connected via Instagram. Okay, here is something really cool. Actually, two really cool things that are still a little bit nebulous, but I'm gonna go ahead and throw them out there and I need your help on them. First, I am retiring the original unsinkable t-shirt. It's time. I like to make, I, I have this idea that I would love to make the original design a little bit exclusive. I am so thankful 
for everyone who supports the podcast. Some of you have been supporting on Patreon for years at this point. Uh, When I first posted the t-shirt, there was a group of you that just immediately bought shirts and hoodies and have been wearing them all over the world. And especially shout out Angie, my friend Angie, who has literally taken that unsinkable t-shirt all over the world, to Germany, to Poland, to Greece, to England, to Scotland. Um, So thank you. I want to do a new design. And I want to usher in sort of ceremoniously what I see as a new era of unsinkable as I work on my book, as the podcast ages in a good way, you know, as it as it morphs and evolves, uh, heading into year three, um, heading into season four <laughs> later this year. Um, so I want a new design. I have worked with listeners before on the design of the mugs, the officer mugs, which are still available on Bonfire, by the way, and they, they're they really great quality. I have mine, and I've heard from people that that purchase them, and, and they're having their coffee every morning in them. They're great quality. Um, I've worked with listener designs before, and that's what I want to keep doing. So if you would like to take some time, if you're an artist, if you're a designer, if you're just someone who's good on Canva, I don't know, uh, if you'd like to take some time and come up with a design and send it to me to throw your hat in the ring, I would really be grateful. I want to do an exciting new t-shirt design that's unique and represents the podcast And if you are the design that I choose, I will make sure that you're compensated. When I do the first run of sales, you will receive a percentage of those sales. When I work with artists, when I work with listeners, I always make sure they are compensated for their work. It's really important. Uh, No one should work for free. So I never. Um, So if you have a design and you want to send it my way, please do over the next few weeks. I'm hopeful in this early spring, I'll get a new design going and we'll get some new t-shirts up. So let me know if you have any ideas. The other thing I need your input on is that I am actually going to be starting uh, hosting uh, live ticketed events, um, hopefully quarterly. I'm looking to do my first one in March. I just decided that it was this is a this is a realm that I want to explore. Uh, podcasts as live events have become really popular, really meaningful experience for podcast listeners, and an important thing in our culture. And I got to thinking, and I thought it would be fun to host a quarterly live event that is ticketed and be very affordable. We're talking like $10 a ticket. Uh, and I th- I thought to myself, why not call it Titanic After Dark and covers topics that are a little bit too taboo for the main feed, maybe a little darker, maybe a little more adult. This is definitely not children listen along, children watch, maybe a chance to explore a little bit more scandalous um, issues involving Titanic. Um, maybe some fun, maybe some you know, a little darker, but maybe we need to intellectually explore them and unpack them historically. Uh, so I think that's going to launch in March. I haven't decided on a date yet. I will let you know as soon as tickets are available, but it would be a live show online. And the proceeds, I would actually divide 60-40 between myself and a charity. So it would not just be me making a profit off of it. It would also be a fundraiser for a charity. So it just it just seems like 
a fun idea that I want to experiment with. I would love to hear your feedback. If you have any ideas about how Titanic After Dark could take shape as a live show, um, Obviously, I'm in the very beginning stages, but I wanted to get your input because I value every single one of you and uh, the input. Some of the best ideas that I've had about the podcast have come from listeners. So all that to say, let me know your thoughts. Um, You can always email me, always message me. If I don't get right back via email or message, please do not take offense. I receive quite a few messages every day and and I'm a one-woman show. Um, sometimes it just takes me a while to get back, but I always, always, always try my best. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. If you have a moment, go on iTunes or Spotify, if you haven't yet and rate and review the podcast, it goes a long way towards helping the podcast continue to gain visibility. And there are new listeners every day. So hello to new listeners. If you've just found the podcast, there are 106 episodes to discover now in the back catalog. So enjoy and let me know what you think. And I will see you very soon for a conversation with Max Miller of Tasting History. And lastly, lastly, almost forgot to mention it. Where are my Titanic slash Outlander people. I that Venn diagram's gotta, it's gotta be really close. You've gotta be out there. So find me on Instagram. You'll see me, you'll see me liking 8,000 posts about Outlander on Instagram. I just think that Sam Hewen, who plays Jamie Fraser, and Jamie Fraser, the character in Outlander, has such Jack Dawson vibes. Just like perfect man vibes, like brave, but also tender. Um innocent, but also experienced all of the oxymorons. So let me know. Let me help. I want to find my Titanic slash Outlander people. There've got to be a lot of us that love both. And I would love to talk to you. So find me on Instagram. Uh, Find me on Instagram no matter what at UnsinkablePod. And make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or your pod player of choice. The subscriptions also help. Uh, create visibility for the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. If you love Titanic Blood and Steel, I'm very sorry. (laughs) All right, catch you later. Bye, guys.